heaven. I started in Genesis, you know. <laughs> so it's been a little while. But uh, let's pray and then we'll get into our study. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to be here and to sing your praises, to uh, just enjoy the fellowship that we have with you and with each other. Pray now that the Holy Spirit would take the word of God, the living word. Uh, you're the living God and you work through your word, which is living. And minister to our hearts. Uh, again, we thank you for the privilege to know you, to walk with you, our, our living God. So we commit our evening to you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, you note the outline here. Uh, I'll come back to this at the end here, but uh, theme, loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's really what the book is about. We've worked our way now to personal instructions, greetings, benediction. So that's what we'll look at uh, here tonight. Um, last words are important words we often hear uh, said, and, and a lot of times they are. Certainly they were with the Apostle Paul. Second uh, Timothy is his last words. And uh, really, the last word from the Apostle Paul is what? It's really about God's word. And he's emphasizing, preach the word and uh, fulfill your ministry to Timothy. And then he really kind of caps it off with, he has been an example of this. Uh, he has finished the course. He has finished the race. He's kept the faith. Uh, so he is really uh, the example uh, for his son Timothy in the faith in that regard. Well, as he's sharing last words, you know, there was great things to remember, but there was kind of some disappointments too, as there is in every ministry. But uh, he talks about some who had been very loyal to him, some who had been very disloyal. And in fact, as we left off last time, we see there in verse 16, he says, at my first defense, and you realize in Rome, typically it was two uh, major uh, trials. It was kind of a preliminary one to see, hey, how serious is this? Uh, if it was treason that he was on trial for, you know, is there enough weight to carry him through here? Uh, but he says at my first defense, there in verse 16, no one stood with me. What? No one. No one stood with me. That's tough. But all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. We realize the context of persecution for the Christians be dangerous to take your stand with the Apostle Paul, perhaps, at this point. Uh, he could have used a few character witnesses that, uh, you know, oh, no, he's not a man who's a, a revolutionary. He's not a man who's taking on the state. Uh, in fact, he wrote the book of Romans. Uh, see what he wrote here. <laughs> uh, you know, submit yourself to the governing authorities and so forth. Nobody uh, stood with him whatsoever. And uh, that's where we pick it up tonight. Somebody want to read verse 17 for us? Yeah, doing it. Thank you. But, the word but, what kind of a word is the word but? Other than being a three-letter word. <laughs> it's a contrast word. Uh, nobody stood with me, is what he's saying in verse 16. Uh, no one stood with me, all forsook me, but, but, the Lord, the Lord stood with me. Boy, it's a good thing the Lord stood with him. We wouldn't have had anybody. <laughs> Of course, the Lord's faithful. He always stands with you. But he, yeah, that's right. One with the Lord is a majority. That's right. But, but in contrast, you know, I think it was really a downer that nobody stood with him, but the Lord stood with me, he says. You know, and, and boy, that, that's the whole thing, just like you're saying. I mean, that, that 
you know, if the Lord stands with you, it doesn't matter who else is wherever else. Uh, but the Lord stood with me. Uh, the idea here to stand with somebody is to stand with them when they're in dire straits. And he was in dire straits. I mean, his life was on the line. He was, you know, being obviously charged with uh, the death penalty for whatever they were charging him with. But God is, is faithful. The Lord stood with me. He, you know, he's promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Maybe everybody else will. Paul had that kind of experience here, right? That's what he says, verse 16, uh, where he says, um, all forsook me, but the Lord. The Lord stood with me. Praise the Lord uh, for that wonderful truth here. And you know, you think you get, oh boy, at this point in his life, I mean, his uh, tremendous missionary career and every, everything that he's been through, certainly it'd be some people would stand with him. Not necessarily. I think as you go along in life, sometimes it gets narrow and more narrow and you don't know who's going to stand with you. Maybe at the end, it'll be the Lord. Praise the Lord, it will be the Lord. The Lord was there with him. That's what he says here. And uh, evidently, he sensed the Lord's presence, the Lord's strengthening. Uh, in what way uh, the Lord stood with him, he doesn't really give specifics. But he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Now, how wonderful it is that the Lord strengthens his people. Uh, we know this verse well, right? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's talking about, you know, whether he has little, whether he has much, whatever his situation is, uh, Christ gives him the strength that he needs. Uh, how did the Lord strengthen him, do you suppose? The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. How did the Lord strengthen him? Yeah. Well, that's what the context would indicate, right? Because he goes on to say, so that the message might be preached fully. So I think you're right. I think you're right on there. God gave him courage to step out and be a bold witness in a very challenging context here. Uh, and so I think, yeah, that's, that's the whole context here. Courage to uh, preach the gospel at this trial where nobody else was bold. They weren't even willing to stand with him. Here he is boldly standing for the cause of Christ, very possibly before Nero himself. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but uh, commentators bring out it may have been even before Nero himself. You know, I think he lived what he preached. Uh, he said earlier in the book here where he says to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I think he knew that experientially in this situation right here. And so he could tell Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I can testify of it. Uh, he gave me what I needed. He strengthened me in this way, in the inner man, so I might be a bold witness. Uh, and, you know, boy, it is, it's, it's challenging when you're in a situation like this. I've never been in a situation like this, honestly, where my life was being, you know, threatened, where I'm on trial. Hey, I, I might die for this. Uh, boy, how would I do? Uh, well, you'd have to depend on the Lord, that's for sure. And uh, he says, the Lord strengthened me. The Lord stood with me. Didn't have any encouragement from the brethren in this situation. They weren't there to bolster him up. But the Lord was there. The Lord was there to strengthen him. Uh, he says, so that the message might be preached fully through me. Again, he's on trial. How is the message being preached fully through him? To where he didn't hold back anything. I mean, he let it fly. I mean, he didn't preach a half message. It was fully preached. Uh, again, I think the context here is his trial. When he's on trial, he didn't shy back and, and give kind of a, well, I don't really want to quite say my whole thing or here it might get me in trouble. No, no, he let it out 
fully what he was all about. And uh, so I think that's the, the whole thing. And, and when he says uh, to Timothy, you know, preach the word in season, out of season. Again, I think he knew what that was all about. We uh, see him really, I think, fulfilling his calling way back when the Lord Jesus Christ called him in Acts 9. The Lord said to him, go, uh, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings. That might well be the situation here, even before Nero, uh, the, the, the pagan emperor, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, he's going to bear witness to the Lord but he's also going to suffer in the process. Really, this is a fulfillment of that calling, I think. And uh, here um, we see here in Ephesians where he says, uh, he's asking prayer, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he definitely saw that, hey, God's put me here and my calling is to speak boldly. I think that's the whole emphasis here where he says, the Lord strengthened me. He was able to do that with boldness uh, according to his calling. And when he says that the message might be preached fully through me, what kind of an apostle was Paul? It's kind of a little trick question. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Where is he? Well, he's now in Rome, right? The, the very center of the Gentile world, if you will. I really think he saw this as the apex of his ministry in terms of fully getting out the message uh, to kings and Gentiles. And, and uh, of course, he'd had a tremendous ministry to a lot of different people groups, including the Jews, uh, through the years. But he kind of sees this, I think, as the capstone of his ministry when he says, so that the message might be fully preached through me. Uh, and where he says, I finished my course said that a little earlier in the chapter. I think he saw this, and he's been wanting to come to Rome for a long time. I think this was the center of the, of the Roman Empire that had many uh, tentacles throughout the whole known world. And uh, so for, for Paul, I think this, this was it right here. And he didn't shy back. The Lord strengthened him to where he let it out fully so the message might be fully preached through me. Okay, um, uh, just a, that reference here in Romans... Uh, yeah, he really wanted to go to Rome. <laughs> in Romans 1.15, So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. You know, he wasn't walking the streets preaching in Rome, was he? Uh, no. <laughs> he was under strict arrest here, on death row at this point. His preaching ministry was pretty much when he was on trial. And, but he was ready. He was ready to preach the gospel, and he says that the Lord strengthened him uh, to that end here. Um, you know, God can use uh, anything. I remember this pastor who had uh, cancer, and his prayer was that God would use his cancer uh, for the glory of God. In this case, uh, God used uh, Paul's imprisonment, uh, his trial. He was on trial, and, and God used this uh, so that uh, the gospel might be fully preached through him and he says that all the Gentiles might hear. Well, what does he mean by that? Again, I think we're talking in terms of uh, a major impact as far as the, the Gentile world, as far as the key leadership of the Gentile world, and how that would go out uh, from there, uh, that, that all the Gentiles might hear. And then he says, uh, also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
Now, what in the world does that mean? Uh, well, a couple ideas. Uh, one of the things they did for sport was uh, turn the Christians loose in the amphitheater with wild beasts, such as lions, who would tear them to, to pieces. Uh, maybe he was somehow uh, delivered uh, from that in the sense that he had a, a stay of execution for a little bit. Uh, it appears he did, where he was able to write Second Timothy. Also, this is, uh, this is sometimes used as a figure of speech. Uh, the, the mouth of the lion is a picture of those in authority who have power to uh, devour, who have power to throw their influence around in a, in a powerful way. We see it used this way in uh, Psalm 22, by the way. This is really uh, the uh, Psalm of the Cross, uh, save me from the lion's mouth, that same language, and from the horns of the wild oxen you have answered me. I think this was answered in the resurrection. But uh, the, po the power of the, of, the, of the authorities that be who are carrying this out, uh, save me. Um, so, you know, again, maybe a little figurative language here when he says, I was saved out of the mouth of the lion here. Uh, proverbial for uh, God rescuing him uh, from the powers that be. Um, a little stay of execution, perhaps, uh, as he's writing this, allowing him even to write Second Timothy at this time. All right. Uh, any other thoughts there? Yes, Joy. Right? Yeah. Well, we're not told, you know, what his thoughts were about Stephen at this point, but I do think he had lots of regrets in terms of what he did to the church. You know, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. You know, he said those kind of things. So I definitely think it, you know, he ne that never went far from his mind here. But he, his calling was to suffer too for the cause of Christ and to bear witness. And, and so, yeah, that's what we see. All right, anything else? Yeah. 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 Oh, well, you know, and D Daniel was certainly rescued in that situation, uh, you know, very heroically in the sense that, I mean, the lions didn't touch him, and he t was taken out, and all the enemies were put in. <laughs> well, we don't see that kind of situation with Paul here, though, right? I mean, he's not, he's not delivered from... Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that imagery. Yeah. Right. Well, I exactly. I think there's a lot of application as far as the imagery. Yeah. And so, however he means it here, he says, "I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion." Uh, I'm taking it probably as the idea there was a stay of execution, which allowed him to even write Second Timothy here, give him some extra time here. Obviously, he ultimately was executed. This is his last letter. We believe he was beheaded shortly after this, you know, within a number of months or within the year anyway. So, um, so it's not like he had completely deliverance from the, from the mouth of the lion in that sense, but I think there was a temporary stay is probably what he has in mind here because he's using past tense. I was delivered. You know, it's like he could have been killed right there, but he wasn't. So, yeah. Uh-huh. That's what most everybody thinks. 
Most all the commentators I read think that's probably the case. All the way through the book, he's saying, don't be ashamed of my chain. You know, he's telling Timothy, uh, don't be ashamed of it. I think it was tremendous pressure to pull back from Paul because, I mean, he was a high-profile case for Christianity and tremendous persecution taking place under Nero in these days. Put all that together, most of the commentators think that's, that was the deal. That's why nobody was really willing to step forward and, and be a character witness for Paul at his trial. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, we'd all like to think we'd be there, right? Uh, I, I think, I don't know, hopefully I've learned a lesson from Peter to not be too self-confident. Lord, you can count on me. <laughs> I'm praying I would be, you know. I pray I would be. Uh, we need the Lord's help, though, again, right? I mean, Paul here, as bold as he was in his whole life, he's saying, hey, I needed help. The Lord was there for me. He strengthened me, gave me the courage to preach as he should. Yep. Yeah, boy, I tell you, you know, if you're standing, that is the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, for sure. And praise the Lord, you know, you can stand, I think, with the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's uh, read Nick's verse, verse 18. Who wants to read that? Verse 18. Yeah, Matt? Okay. Well, the Lord's in the delivering business, right? Yes. I'm a little tongue-in-cheek as my daughter is in labor right now, right? <laughs> Sorry. Bad joke. Uh, but the Lord is in the delivering business. Uh, you know, I think about Paul where in his dark hour here as he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, uh, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure. You know, that's some heavy burden." Above strength, just to strengthen the emphasis, uh, so that we despaired even of life. We didn't know if we are going to survive this. I mean, it's so much pressure. And uh, then he says, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We didn't have any place else to look other than to God uh, who is able to raise the dead. But then he says, who delivered us from so great a death? This great pressure that was like, you know, just a death sentence over us. He delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You know what? That verse got a lot of deliverance in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And then he says, uh, you also helping together in prayer for us. So God works through prayer, but God's a, God's a delivering God, and he had delivered uh, Paul in many situations through his life. And uh, he says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Uh, he's going to deliver me. He's confident from every evil work. Uh, well, what do you suppose this means from every evil work? Uh, he's obviously not going to get out of prison. We know that now. And he's also thinking about heaven. There's a couple ideas that commentators have put out here when it talks about will deliver me from every evil work. Uh, some think it's the idea that he's going to deliver Paul from uh, this vicious uh, treatment that he's been going through by way of taking him to heaven. And in a sense, that's an that's a ultimate deliverance, right? Uh, you don't experience that anymore uh, when that happens. Uh, some think it's talking here very personally, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work to where uh, he is going to be delivered from uh, the, the idea of um, not being faithful himself. Uh, from the, the, the temptation to maybe compromise uh, himself. So uh, there's a couple of thoughts there. Uh, 
God had seen him through the first part of his trial, and so he was confident that God would see him through to the end. Realizing he has essentially finished his course already, as he's just said, he was thus confident that God would continue to strengthen him and get him home safely without compromise. Being faithful was Paul's ultimate concern, not physical harm. I think that's true, because he knew he was about ready to die. I mean, he's, he has made that very clear. So perhaps that really is the, the sense here. His goal was always this, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Uh, so Warren Wiersbe says Paul's greatest fear was not death. It was that he might deny his Lord or do something else that would disgrace God's name. And yet, with great confidence, he says here, uh, the Lord will deliver me from, from every... He's delivered me from the mouth of the lion, had a stay of execution right now, and he's going to deliver me from every evil work. He's given him great boldness to preach, and he's confident uh, that God's going to deliver him from every evil work. And then he says, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. He's going to bring him safely home. Uh, how wonderful that is. Uh, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's able to bring you on home uh, safely. It will preserve me uh, for his heavenly kingdom. Interesting terminology here, heavenly kingdom. It's the only place in the New Testament we have this terminology. Uh, he's not talking about uh, what is commonly spoken of in the New Testament as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is God's kingdom reign on the earth. Uh, he's really talking about uh, the sphere of heaven where God rules uh, supreme uh, in heaven, in his glory. I think that's really what he's talking about here. The heavenly kingdom is really Paul's way of saying heaven with the added nuance being that this is where God rules with no sin involved. This is the third heaven Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians. This is the place Paul described in 2 Corinthians 5 as present with the Lord. It is the place Paul described as being gain and experience that is far better than anything we have known here. So, uh, yes, indeed, uh, the heavenly kingdom, uh, that realm where you won't have to ever worry about evil again. Uh, and that's the context here. Deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. All right, any other thoughts there? Okay, uh, to finish that verse out, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. Breaks out in doxology at this point, right? Uh, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. Uh, Ed, uh, Edmund Hebert says, this, the doxology is here unmistakably addressed to Christ and is another proof of Paul's conviction concerning the deity of Christ. So, uh, yeah, pretty much agreed that he's talking about Jesus uh, here in this context. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, let's have somebody read verses 19 and 20. Who wants to uh, read that? 19 and 20. Uh, you know, I, there might be a name there that you don't want to mention. By the way, just a, a, a word to myself here. Uh, I'll come to you in just a second. But on uh, Onesiphorus, it's on. Just remember the first two letters, on. Is it always, how do you pronounce this? Is it one F servers? Uh, uh, how do you pronounce this? It's on, on Esophorus. Anyway, you want to try it, Jeff? Yeah. You want to read? Yeah, 19 and 20. Yeah? <laughs> However you pronounce it, we'll go with it. Yes. <laughs> okay, brother. 
You know what? Why don't you just read the rest of it? Okay, thank you very much. So, uh, concluding greetings, and he says, uh, greet Priscilla and, and Aquila. Now, this couple, uh, they were very special to Paul, and, and they're kind of an interesting couple uh, anyway. Uh, Priscilla is a, a variant from the, the name uh, Priscilla, uh, Priscilla. Priscilla. Uh, Priscilla and her husband Aquila are named six times in the New Testament. They are always named together. That's interesting. Uh, four of the six times she is mentioned before him. Now, why this is, we do not know, although some suggest she may have had the more outgoing personality of the two. Uh, you know, it's, it's a guess, but uh, she does seem to be, you know, <laughs> I don't know, a strong personality perhaps uh, of, of one kind or another. But this uh, particular couple, uh, they moved uh, around uh, and they connected with Paul. At, at one point they were in, in Rome and then they ended up at Ephesus where they are right now. Uh, but they had uh, definitely been in ministry with the Apostle Paul. He writes in Romans chapter 16, uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own nicks for my life. Boy, they were willing to, to risk it. Uh, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So they were kind of leaders, uh, and they were willing to risk their lives for, for the sake of the Apostle Paul and help him in his ministry. So, you know, that, that tends to make you close to people, right? If somebody's willing to risk their life for you, uh, I mean, that, that makes a bond, a tight bond. And so he says, greet them. Greet uh, uh, Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Um, he's... Uh, one who was not ashamed of Paul, if you go to uh, chapter 1, why don't you turn back to chapter 1 and verse uh, 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, uh, for he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, found me. The Lord grant mercy to him that he may find mercy from the Lord and so forth. So here he was. He is one uh, who was not ashamed. But notice the whole household is greeted here. Uh, and, and really, we have this in chapter 1, verse 16, as well as here in chapter 4. So evidently, the whole household was believers. They were evidently all Christians. He says, greet the whole household of Onesiphorus. And then he says, Erastus stayed in Corinth. Um, you know, we don't really know who this was. Um, we find here, uh, there was a man named Erastus who was a treasure at Corinth. Maybe, uh, maybe that's who it is. We find a co-worker with Timi name, Timothy named her, uh, Erastus. Maybe, but we don't really know. So, you know, we're not given much information here. Uh, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left at Miletus sick. Now, he was an associate, uh, Trophimus that is, was an associate of both Paul and Timothy, and uh, so here he was uh, serving with Paul, but Paul left him at Miletus sick. Um, let's say a little bit about this. But Paul's uh, first trip to Rome as a prisoner is chronicled in Acts 21 through 28. We believe in about 6 AD 62 he was then released, conducted a fourth missionary journey as pieced together from the pastoral epistles, 1 2 Timothy and Titus. 
On this fourth missionary journey, before he was arrested, he left Trophimus at Miletus sick. Miletus was about 35 miles south of Ephesus where Timothy was stationed. So uh, note the map here. Uh, here's where Timothy is serving, Ephesus. Miletus is about 35 miles uh, south. Here's Paul way over here in Rome here. And so, uh, but he left him, you know, in this whole process. <laughs> Paul ended up here, but, but he left uh, Trophimus at, at Miletus, and, and he left him sick. Now, you know, what, what kind of uh, mercy is that? I mean, why did he leave him there sick? That's what I wonder. Huh? Yeah, why? I mean, obviously Paul did have the gift of healing. Why didn't he heal him? That's, I'm being a little sarcastic here. But, uh, yeah, he left him sick at Miletus. And we know Paul earlier in his ministry definitely had the gift of healing. Well, what is this about? Uh, he left him uh, sick at Miletus. Uh, note a few things here. Uh, the apostles were unique. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, signs, that's miracles or signs, and wonders and mighty deeds. So the, the signs of an apostle, apostles were unique. They had unique mir miraculous ministries, including healing. Uh, Hebrews 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, that's apostles. God also bearing witness both with signs, miracles, and wonders and various miracles, uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So again, these apostles were confirmed with special sign miracles. And that was certainly true uh, in their ministries, in the uh, ministry of the apostle Paul. Uh, that was earlier. But now it was late in the apostolic era. It's late in Paul's ministries, right before his death. The proof of Paul's apostleship had clearly been established. The New Testament message had gone uh, forth far and wide. The New Testament scriptures were nearing completion. Therefore, the sign gifts affirming the apostles and their message was no longer needed. The age of the apostles and their unique sign gift ministry was now giving way to the permanent place of the word. No longer was a new message going forth from special apostolic messengers. Now the standard was already revealed New Testament truth. Uh, so, yeah, I think we see a transition happening here. Uh, in 62 AD, Epaphroditus with Paul was sick, almost to death, he says in, in Philippians chapter 2. I mean, Paul's having a problem healing these guys at this point. But it's late in his ministry. Uh, 64, Timothy had frequent health problems. He didn't say, Timothy, I want you to seek out, you know, uh, a faith healer who can do something. You know, somebody's got real faith. He didn't say it. What do you say? Drink a little wine. It's kind of strange. Not really. Not really. Not if you understand the sign gift's purpose. Uh, 66 AD, Trophimus left at Miletus. So, you know, as you get further towards the end of Paul's ministry, you don't see him healing everybody. Um, as you did earlier in his ministry. So um, it wasn't that he lacked faith. It wasn't that Trophimus lacked faith. Uh, that was not the issue here. You know, sometimes godly people get sick. They did here. Uh, Timothy was sick. <laughs> All the time he had stomach problems. You say, well, he just didn't have enough faith. He needed to grow a little more. No, that's not, that's not the case. That's slanderous. Um, 
The sign gifts uh, were coming to an end. There is no evidence that any of the apostles, including Paul, performed miracles of any sort during their latter years. As more and more of the New Testament was revealed and made available to the church, God's word no longer needed the verification of miracles. And that's really what the sign miracles were about. It validated the apostles as unique uh, instruments of God giving forth New Testament revelation, verified with sign miracles. It wasn't that God was just doing miracles to do miracles. There were sign value attached to those miracles. Uh, God is sovereign. The sign gifts were never employed as a matter of personal desire. Uh, they always serve God's greater purpose of affirming new revelation through his choice servants, the apostles. Now, God can heal. We pray, and we see God do all kinds of things as we pray. Uh, but as far as sign miracles, I don't believe that's happening at all today. I believe all these people who claim to do sign miracles are frauds. I think they're liars. They're not apostles. <laughs> uh, they do not have that gift at all. Uh, God can do whatever he wants to do through prayer, and he works mightily as we pray. But as far as what's happening in terms of sign miracles in the New Testament, we don't see that. That was very unique in terms of the apostles' special ministry. And the apostles were special in their ministry because of the new revelation uh, they were bringing forth. So he left uh, Trophimus uh, at Miletus sick. All right, we got two more verses. Any other thoughts there before I go on to those? Trying to read my time here. Any other thoughts? Okay, let's read verse, uh, we did read. Verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. Why might he want, uh, do, he said, do your hardest, do your best to come before winter. Uh, what's the problem? Why does he want him to come before winter? Well, no, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be cold in the winter, right? And he's already asked, bring the cloak in verse 13. So certainly, and I think, you know, time is short too. But he's thinking about winter here in particular. And that would certainly relate. Bring the cloak and the parchments, you know, and so forth. But uh, do your utmost to come before winter. I mean, it's going to be really rough if you don't get here before winter. Uh, Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. And all the brethren. Who were these people? Well, we have absolutely no idea. Now, they knew who they were, right? But isn't that true of most of God's people? They are not really known other than God knows, and the, their contemporaries know. But uh, we don't know who, the, who they were uh, really at all. Uh, Charles Spurgeon preached a whole sermon on the words, uh, oh, this is, I should have put this earlier, but Trophimus I have left in my lead is sick. Points were, uh, it is the will of God that some good men should be in ill health, uh, good men may be laid aside when they seem to be most needed, and good men would have the Lord's work go on whatever becomes of them. This is from Spurgeon's sermon there. All right, that's a throwback to what I uh, had there earlier. Um, okay. Um, back to our verse here. Note that although everyone had deserted Paul at his first hearing, yet in the spirit of forgiveness as seen here in verse 16, Paul had not cut off these Roman Christians. He was still in fellowship with them and sends their greetings. Love covers the multitude of sins, as Peter says. Paul practiced what he preached when he said in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, that love is patient, love bears all things, love endures all things. This too is part of fighting the good fight to the end. You know, I don't see Paul going down as a bitter man who said, you all abandoned me. I'm bitter. Let me just die in isolation. That's not the spirit here. 
there's gracious greetings. Uh, and and, the, and the, the bre- he's, he's not only sending greetings, but, but he is now uh, sending greetings for, uh, from these folks at, at Rome uh, to, uh, to uh, Titus at Ephesus. And then finally, to round out the book, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's interesting. Uh, you know, usually uh, Paul talks about uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here, he really personalizes it. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself be with your spirit. Uh, very direct here. And perhaps he's thinking in terms of, you know, how the Lord stood with me, as he says in verse 17, and strengthened me. Uh, may the Lord himself uh, be with your spirit. And then he says, finally, grace be with you. Amen. Uh, grace is God's favor. We kind of have the benediction here, if you will. Uh, grace, may God's favor be, be with you. And, and the you here is plural. Uh, so, you know, he's talking to not only Timothy, but those who are with him as well. Well, the theme here is uh, loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A few thoughts here. Number one, a good soldier, first and foremost, obeys the commands of his superiors. Is that right, Mac? Yep. (laughs) For believers, the Lord himself is our master to whom we must ultimately give account. And he has designed us to function orderly as a unit. To please him means we work together in the good fight. As one pastor said, we uh, can have disagreements, but there must be loyalty. Loyalty to Christ goes hand in hand with loyalty to each other. So, amen. got three points here. Number two, a good soldier endures hardship. So he tells Timothy, the way of the cross is not easy. Active service on the front lines is never easy. A soldier no longer has their own life to live as they please. They are now under orders. It involves a life of sacrifice and commitment uh, for the cause of the ruling authority. And then finally, uh, number three here. Thirdly, a good soldier finishes the course. They complete the mission. That is given to them. Quitters are not decorated soldiers. Uh, As Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Well done assumes completion. And so those are the challenges that I see coming forth from from this book. Well, um, let me conclude with this illustration. In 1904, uh, William Borden graduated from high school as heir to the Borden family fortune. He was already wealthy uh, for this high school graduation present, for his high school graduation present. His parents gave the 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. How about that? As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the lost of the world. Young Bill Borden expressed his desire to become a missionary, which was met with the response, why would you throw your life away as a missionary? In response, Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. After high school, Bill Borden went to Yale University, then Princeton. While in school, he again wrote in the back of his Bible, this time with the words, no retreats. After his schooling, the family begged him to take control of the family business, but Bill refused, insisting that God had called him to the mission field. After disposing of his wealth, he headed to the mission field with the goal of working with Muslims. However, while in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, he was dead. He was only 25 years old. As they examined his Bible, they found that before he had died, he had written two more words in the back of his Bible, no regrets. How's that for a testimony? Pretty powerful, isn't it? Uh, No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Uh, This is the epitaph 
of a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, amen to that. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up 2 Timothy? Paul's exhortation to be a loyal, good soldier of Jesus Christ. All right, if there's nothing else, let's go ahead and share some prayer items. Everybody have a prayer sheet? Oh, you need one? 